Hi, this is Dave Davies of the Kinks, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. You're about to listen to Pamela Day Barr's Pajama Party right here on Pantheon Podcasts. We have so many podcasters. It's just incredible. We are the number one music podcast in the world. So you're in the right place. Now, uh, I'm a groupie or I was a groupie, but I have a groupie heart. So I'm always a groupie. And that means that, you know, you love music. You love the people who play it. And you want to hang out with the people who play the music that make your heart open and expand. That's what a groupie is. And don't you listen to any naysayers about that word. I am here on this planet to retrieve that word because all it means is love. And today our guest is a lovely man, Walter Egan. A lot of people know him because of his big hit, Magnet and Steel, which is just such a cool song, you know, obviously. And he had a giant hit with that. But, you know, before that, he was playing music from the age of 15 and and then, you know, up until right this minute. And he, his new album is about me. It's called Fascination. And we're going to talk about that, too. Okay? So stay tuned. start okay well this should be interesting <laughs> i am going to behave okay well you know how honest do you want me to be well no i want you to be real I'm honest only kidding. I'm only kidding because you said that to me and that well <laughs> well that's that is true it's the okay. only way i can be i don't you know and i'm not you know i i guess i understand why you asked that because you didn't know how all of this was materializing in the real world, as it were. No, I didn't. I, I, I wasn't behind the scenes in your head. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Only for a short time that I tried to. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's. We're on. <laughs> uh, hello, dolls. Today we have uh, an old friend of mine and an almost boyfriend. 
Walter Egan. Oh, Pamela, it's great to see you. Yes, it's lovely to see you, Walter. Your hair looks great. You know, well, I, I got you. Walter his hair cutter. And I can thank you for that. And, and she yeah. she really took his gigantic mass of hair, but she still has a giant head of hair, um, and, and made it, she tamed it really nicely. Yes. I, I'm no longer the human Q-tip. <laughs> as I was for a while. He's got a, a very fluffy head of white hair. So yes. um, a lot of people may not know through the listeners your backstory, Walter. So I would like to start from the beginning with you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I'm an <laughs> East Coast boy. I grew up in Forest Hills, Queens. I uh, went to Georgetown University, started playing guitar when I was 15, when I got a guitar. And uh, within that first year, uh, my friend John, John Zambetti, had said, if I get an electric guitar, I can be in the band. So, you know, right away, I was yeah. saying, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And so, yeah, I started there and I started writing songs shortly thereafter. Um, what what was, year are we talking about that you got your guitar? I got my guitar in 1963. Wow. Yes. Well, we are about the same age, right? I'm Am I a year or two older two than you? Two months older than you. Oh, you're two months older, right? Yes. You know, so, so we are the same a, age. You're not an older woman to me. <laughs> but Your new uh, album, yeah. though, can, I've got to say, you know, that new album is really something. Well, thanks. thanks. Well, you know, I love the song. Miss Pamela is is really amazing. I think it's the best thing you've written in a long, long time. Oh. I mean, not just because it's about me. <laughs> sound that way but no it's a really catchy song what is catchy to it once or twice too i mean and it's the whole thing in your head, you know and it's a you know it, I, it, it sounds like a hit to me well i'm but thinking the, that you know well, the thing is this new record came out in england right and i feel like uh, my career hasn't been fully exploited in the british isles um, I've had, you know, Magnum Steel as if you, my backstory, of course, I went on to, I had a six album deal with Columbia, which I signed in 1976. My first album, Fundamental Role, came out in 77. And my second album, which contained my mega hit, yes. Magnum Steel, <laughs> uh, came out in 78. And, uh, you know, and it's uh, notable that my first two albums involved Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood right. Mac. Mm -hmm. They were trying to keep their identity outside of Fleetwood Mac at, in these early years because they had only been in the band, I think, for a year, a year and a half when uh, we approached them as as my producers. You know, and even that was kind of odd because I didn't know who Buckingham Nicks was when it was suggested to me. I, there was a guy named Don Nicks, who you might remember, who was a Southern rocker. And I was thinking, no, that's not the kind of music I'm doing. And uh, they said, no, no, you've listened to this record. And that their famous one album on Polydor, Buckingham Nicks. I took it home and listened, and I was stunned. I thought uh, I loved the songs. I loved the uh, interplay of Lindsay and Stevie. I had come out of a band on the East Coast called Sageworth, which mm -hmm. featured a wonderful lady singer named Annie McClune. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, somehow it all just seemed to be right at the time. I, I had no reason to think that, you know, it would turn into what it did with Lindsay and Stevie. But 
you know, I felt like they were kindred spirits, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. My middle name being Lindsay, of course, had a little to do with it. But anyway, yeah, you know, we happened to do, we happened to do demos at Sound City, the now famous Sound City out in Van Nuys, and uh, which is a really cool studio. It was funky, and it wasn't, you know, main Hollywood kind of thing. But it, it uh, at that time was becoming known because of Fleetwood Mac's White Album, as it were, the one that they did with Stevie and Lindsay, the first one. Mm -hmm. And uh, Keith Olsen was working out there. He had a, a little part of that. So um, that was how the connection was made. Um, I got together with them and uh, hit it off. Lindsay is kind of inspired by the Beach Boys and Kingston Trio, which were a couple of my main inspirers. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I had a great appreciation for the, uh, the female voice, as it were. And so, you know, I had a little bit of uh, something there for Stevie, which uh, you guys had a flame, right? Which manifests itself in Magnet and Steel. Uh -huh. You know, she, there's <laughs> there's uh, there's a way she sings this kind of wailing, kind of banshee weird thing yes. she does that she was doing on the background vocals on one of my songs on my first album, a song called Tunnel of Love, which <laughs> uh, predated the Springsteen song by a number of years. Um, you know, it was my most salacious song, I have to say. But uh, she uh, <clears throat> was doing it justice that night, and I was inspired to, uh, to maybe express my feelings about this. And so I was living in Pomona at the time. So driving from Van Nuys to Pomona, very late at night, as it always was in those days, you know, 3.30, 4 in the morning. I was on the 101 and this, this pimped out car, I can only describe it as a pimp mobile. It had the diamond window in the back. It had the lights underneath it. It had the fringes and all, you know, it was, it was really pimped out as they say. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I happened to notice the license plate and the license plate said not shy mm. so I took this as a message I am um, you know as as, as a songwriter I am open to the universe to give me suggestions and things and so I started working that and by the time I got back to Pomona I had basically finished the lyrics I had been working on the musical part of Magnet and Steel for a while because some of us are old enough to remember the stroll and the stroll. Yes, I love know, the stroll. I always thought that was really cool. And, uh, and the beat. It was Sexy. the beat of it, you know, that double snare hit, that doo 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 bop doo doo bop bop doo doo. That was yep. always sort of got me. So I was writing a song in that style with very pedestrian lyrics. And, uh, and it all crystallized that night after uh, being inspired by her. And uh, yeah, and crazy stuff like that happens to me well you get inspired by the ladies i i, I i'm actually quite honored about this record you just did oh, well i hope you are and because, flattered uh, you know and it, it's a concept album it goes from beginning to end as it were it it, it really does it's, uh, <laughs> it's the story of my uh, my infatuation with you and and, uh, it, and it's really beautiful i mean you know oh, thank you because yeah you know, it's all, it's a sincere song cycle, I like to describe yeah. it. Yeah, okay. You know, because, you know, I had, well, you know, I I recorded these in the moment as as our protracted 
you know, well, I only saw you every few months mm -hmm. when I would go out to LA to do those Malibu's gigs. And so, you know, it was all very concentrated in my mind every time I got the chance to see you. And so, you know, it all had, it was wrought with meaning, you might say. <laughs> and that, and, you know, and that translated into these songs. And, and so uh, a year ago, well, now two years ago, this May, <clears throat> I was doing a gig at the Cavern in Liverpool with the Malibus and also as myself. Uh -huh. And uh, my English guy, this guy named Robert Corridge, who had a label and has a label called Red Steel Music. Mm -hmm. I had met him like 20 years ago and he put out two of my albums, 20, 20-aught and 20-aught one. And, uh, and through the years I've stayed in touch with him. And, and so I told him I was coming over there and I brought a stack of, because I never stopped writing, a stack of my new songs in there was the Pamela album as it was called for many years. Um, and so I gave him those, didn't think much about it because I've been in the record business long enough to not, it, you know, you have to just let it be and then it'll come to you when it comes. And so it actually did come at the beginning of the quarantine. Mm. Um, I had a dream about him out of the blue because I hadn't had any contact with him. And I had this dream that he had an apartment up like on the 10th floor of this building and he had a helicopter that was parked outside, hanging outside his window. I thought this was a very funny dream. So I sent him a message about that and he got back to me and he said, hey, well, funny, you should get in touch with me. I'm starting to label again. And what is this Pamela album? And so he responded, it took him a year to get to it, but by the time he got to it, he was really hit by it. You know. As a songwriter, I write and then I put it away kind of and move on. Some yeah. of the songs I'll incorporate into my live set. Of course, the Malibus did also did one of these songs. The uh, the first song on the album, the I'm With The Girl. Great song, song. too. It's a yeah, totally yeah. catchy song. I mean, that, just fabulous. Uh, and then of course, you know, as I was re-listening to this, now that it's come out as a record, you know, I've I've had to sort of sit back and listen to it. And and I do, and I agree, it did come out really well, if I do say so myself. <laughs> My drummer, Ronnie Krasinski, who was the drummer on all the tracks except uh, Fruit of Fascination, is uh, a wonderful drummer. He's uh, very solid, yet also inventive where he needs to be. So, between him and me, we made this whole album. I, I mm. did everything else on the album. Wow. You know, well, I Very worked impressive. <laughs> I worked cheap for myself. Now, you know, was, and I don't have it... to <laughs> I don't have to teach someone, no, that's not the bass part I want. I want it to be, you know. And I have played bass, you know, throwing in another bit of my history in the late 80s, I was the bass player for the band Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was known for I got a line on you and nature's way. Oh yeah, Wedding. I used to love them. Randy Early California yeah. was the uh, the leader of the band in those days, and so I I was the I was the bass player and Ed Cassidy, who, well this was like eighty six. He was sixty something at that point, so he had he was a veteran of the the bebop days and mm. early rock and stuff. Mm -hmm. So so that was kind of cool but but yeah i feel you know i have different parts of my brain that play different parts of 
different instruments, my rhythm guitar part of my brain and my bass part and my lead part. And, and then, you know, I was somewhat pampered by the fact that I had maybe 11 tracks to record on. I did this recording on, for you gearheads out there, the Boss, <laughs> <laughs> the Boss 1600 um, standalone hard disk recorder which to me is kind of an in-between between the digital world of today and the analog world of the past, where it has faders and it, uh, you know, and I know what each, I know how to get the sounds that I want basically. So yeah, it was done in my uh, recording room, my studio here in that uh, house in Franklin that I think you just saw briefly when yes. you visited once. Um, Billy yeah, Eilish, but, just like Billy Eilish, you're, you're recording. Well, you know, yeah. I, I, I feel a kinship with Billy. <laughs> I sing a little bit louder than she does, but other than that, no, I think she's great. I think yeah, I do too, but you know, she did hers at home as well. It's, now, I, I think we should play um, I'm With The Girl right now. I agree. Such a while since I felt my heart smile. Since I felt like this, dreaming of a kiss. Now I feel brand new with these memories of you, of those happy. open the show with magnet and steel sure that's the one everybody knows yeah. even though oddly the odd part about that is my my uh, flying under the radar career um living in nashville i do these songwriter nights and sometimes i'll play the song and someone will come up at the end this is actually a true story you know man i really love that song you know, at, who did that song? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure yeah, people do that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I benefited and I also suffered from being kind of in the shadow of Fleetwood Mac as they emerged as the big band of the world. Yeah. It's rumors. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in some ways that helped and in other ways, it, as I'm describing now, it, it kind of obscured me. Even, well, you know, I had a six album deal at Columbia, which was pretty amazing considering I was coming out of the blue with all this stuff. I mean, yeah. of course, you know, I, my calling card in those days was a song called Hearts on Fire. Yes, of course. Which Graham Parsons and Emily Harris recorded, a um, song that I Well, let's offered. hear that.
magnificent song. And the magnificent duo. I mean, they, mm. I was, God. this is something which when, you know, you know, we share this, this appreciation for Graham. And I, because he came in and hijacked my favorite band, The Birds, and turned them into a country band when they were a psychedelic band. It was like, yeah. what? You know, so, you know, you may, he made us sit up and take notice about it all and, and convinced me that uh, there was soulfulness to be found in this country music. Well, yeah, exactly. Same. Yeah. He sat me down and played George Jones and Waylon and Merle and Willie and all of them and Ray Price. And it was like such a incredibly expansive. I owe him a lot. Um, well, yeah, and and of course he not only had that vision, but he he had well, you know, he used charisma. Tell the world, <laughs> you know, he how had you this, feel about Grant. <laughs> he had that charisma about him, and and so when uh, I was there at Emmy Lou's show the night that Chris Hillman came in and asked her if she'd be open to singing with this guy, and she didn't know who Graham Parsons was, so I took her aside and I played the Gilded Palace of Sin and Sweetheart of the Rodeo and, and said, yeah, this is a good thing. So did, when Graham did you came know her play, at the time, Walter? Yeah, we were playing the same circuit in Georgetown. Her, okay. her stuff, it was more folky in those days. She was kind of a long velvet dress, mm. Judy Collins-ish kind of singer. And, but, you know, amazing for that. Yeah. <laughs> Singing Burt Bacharach songs and having hippies go yeah that's cool you know, kind of thing and so yeah um emmy uh, as i have already mentioned qualified as a female singer who uh, drew my attention as it were um anyway so but we were all friends kind of and hung out in those days and uh, and sure sure when graham came to town i think it was the next day um, they needed a place where they could sing together and i offered my kitchen so the first time Graham and Emmy sang together, I was the audience and I was, you know, you can probably appreciate Graham was sitting on the, on the kitchen table actually. And this kitchen, it was the, the hippie house of Georgetown. The, the walls were painted with dry tempera color paints in a psychedelic manner. The, uh, the oven, the door to the oven had been lost somewhere along the way. And so the oven was the, basically the heating thing for the house. <laughs> and, and we always had a few baked potatoes in there in case you were hungry. And so it, it was a very interesting trippy, place. Trippy, trippy. It was, it was trippy. Anyway, so <laughs> the man was sitting on the table and I was sitting kind of at his knee as he was doing this. And at that time I was starting to go wonder about country music. And I, the same thing you just described. I said, well, Graham, how can I get into country music? Who should I listen to? What's the and he mentioned, you know, George Jones, Merle Haggard, Harlan Howard, Charlie Pride. Mm -hmm. you know? Charlie Pride, yeah. And so um, yeah, I was schooled, but, you know, I was touching the hem of his garment, as it were. <laughs> and so, you know, I but it. I mean, he was, he was an incredibly charismatic guy. Um, I got to see him in his less charismatic times a few years later when they were touring and we were living in Boston as a band at that point. And I actually drove him around in my beat up Ford Econoline van, drove him to the gigs. They did like five nights or something at, at this place called Oliver's. There's tapes first, from that, those shows, right? 
yeah tapes. they did came from those shows you can yeah the bootleg tapes yeah yeah and i was amazed to find the, the performance where i first heard them sing hearts on fire oh stuff. how thrilling you know, so that was that's been great you know very grateful to have that now, um, how, how did that how did they get the song well at that time emmy was kind of uh, living with us as it were our bass player tom guiderer who also wrote a few lines in hearts on fire um was emmy's boyfriend for a while oh, okay. so you know, she heard the song and, and she was going out to record GP with him and uh, took the song and he liked it. And, oh. you know, and in fact, when she came back, she had a set of lyrics that Graham wanted me to write the music to. Right. And it's a song called Carolina Calypso, which I consider the last Graham Parsons song. But yeah, you know, that's. Uh, well, let's play that, shall we? <laughs> Carolina Calypso. There's a few versions of that. That one, well, whichever one you want us to play. Um, the Brooklyn Cowboys version is great, I think. Okay. And so is, but so is the Burritos version. I, you know, I was in the latter version of the Burritos here in like 20, whatever, 11, whatever. Maybe we should use your version, of course. Um, well, both of them are kind of my versions. I'm singing okay. lead on both okay. of them. One is okay. a little bit more rocky. The Brooklyn Cowboys, I think, is the one closest to the way I wrote it. Okay. And then... When we did the burritos, it was like, well, we should do the song, but let's do it a little differently. And so, you know, more emphasis on the calypso part of it, I think. May I lift your ears that you might hear an old tale that we spin about the perfect stranger, his golden box, a whole lot of sunshine within. It ran outside and opened it up so it carried to the four winds. Just about where his old story begins. It was late one day down in sunny Durham when the stranger stepped from the train. Packed his sack with a big old smile. Started strong and strong and fair. As the crowd turned out at the depot, he got a gold real good right there. He said, This one's called a Carolina So that was the beginning of it for me. And then when I moved to California in 74, I had that as my calling card. I stayed with a guy named Chris Darrow who played in Kaleidoscope and Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and mm -hmm. did some albums on his own. Mm -hmm. Thinking I was moving to, Cal moving to LA and I was in Claremont. So I was a little 40 miles short of the destination. <laughs> but, you know, I was driven. I, I, I mean, when Sageworth broke up, my mother sat me down and said, okay, well, now what are you going to do to get serious with your life? You had your chance with that. And it's like, I know, mom, I'm going to LA to make a record. <laughs> and, you know, <clears throat> it was a pretty brazen thing for me to say, because one, I was never really the lead singer in any of these bands that I had been in. I always felt everybody could sing better than I could anyway. So I would write the songs and I'd be the kind of leader of the band, but I was not. Uh, I was not uh, the lead singer, even to the fact of the way I got my deal was a hoot night at the Troubadour in February of 76. Mm -hmm. And uh, the band that I constructed around myself and my songs 
in Claremont after getting there with Chris Darrow. Um, we we did the Hoot Night, and I think maybe six out of the seven songs were my songs, but I only sang one of those songs, which was my, the one that turned out to be my first single called Only the Lucky. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end of that performance, a guy who I had met when I, all right, I, I skipped over this part, but when I came out to California in 74 to stay with Chris Darrow, he had just had his tour support pulled out and asked me if I wanted to be his band for a tour of the UK. Mm. And it was like, wait, I just got here. I said, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I did that for a month. And during that tour, I met a guy named Andrew Lauder, who worked for United Artists in England. And flash ahead to the, the Troubadour show. He was there in that crowd that day. And he offered me a three singles deal, which meant mm. six sides. And so with that in hand, we secured Buckingham Knicks. And once we secured Buckingham Knicks, and all of a sudden they were burgeoning. Yeah. All of a sudden, another guy named David Krebs, who was manager, he managed Aerosmith. And he was a partner in my management by this time. He engineered the uh, six album deal with Columbia. And so, and you know, but you know, when I first got offered the, the deal, I literally said to him, but wait, you mean you want me to sing these? You want me to sing? You know, when he when he offered me the deal, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> it was like, oh okay. So having Lindsay and Stevie as part of my team on those first two albums gave me a great amount yeah. of security and and confidence to to pull it off, you know, and and it kind of worked, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It sure did. But uh, you know, and then there's beyond magnet and steel years which are the you know that's going to take a few volumes to talk about that but but anyway fascination is the i think the 14th album mm. that i've put out as a solo and then i've done three albums with the malibus or four um, and then I, I did two with the brooklyn cowboys i did one with the burritos you know my my cv here goes a little bit longer you know when i first moved to california i auditioned to be in linda ronstadt's band she had offered me the position of lead guitar when i still lived on the east coast he said she said you know my guitar player isn't really working out and by the time i got to california he was working out really well and that was andrew gold who really <laughs> shaped a lot of her hits you know yeah and then uh, i hung around in claremont with David Lindley, the amazing, you know, instrumentalist and also a very cool recording artist who was playing with Jackson Brown at the time. And I had met Jackson when our band opened for him at the Bitter End a few years before that. Anyway, that led to me being asked to join Jackson's Late for the Sky tour as the rhythm electric player and part-time wow. harmony singer. All kinds of okay. stuff. And this was all pre-getting a record deal. This was in 75. Okay. Um, and as it evolved, he wanted to play more and more electric guitar and put me on acoustic guitar. And he, he wanted me to sing a lot more harmony. And I was still very insecure about my singing. And so we both kind of came to realize this was maybe not a great idea. After rehearsing for about two months, two and a half months at that wonderful place. I don't know if you've ever been up to it, that mission 
you know, that was on the cover of his uh, album, the, the one with do, the- Do they album. still make records there? Say again? Do they still make records there? Oh, I don't know if it's a studio now. This was actually his house. Where oh, we okay. Oh, um, sounds like a place Lucinda recorded recently. It might be. Um, anyway, you know, it was, uh, this is what I aimed for. When I moved to California, I really wanted to be in the country rock, LA, Southern California scene. Linda Ronstadt, Jackson. Yeah. I had met Don and Glenn from the Eagles when they played with Linda and sat around jammed with them. They played at the cellar door in Washington and they were in town for a number of days. And so we got to hang out and play old songs together. And, and so when I was moving to California, I heard that Bernie Ledden was leaving the band. I wrote Glenn a letter saying, hey man, I'm coming, hold the spot open, I'll be ready, you know? Oh. I mean, this was literally what I was going through when I moved to California. When I got there, I met up with them at uh, the Troubadour in the bar in the front. Uh, Fogelberg was there with them. No, and, well. uh, you know, and they said, hey man, you know, the same story as with Linda kind of, you know, we got somebody and, you know, but, but Glenn, I don't know if you ever knew him much, but. You know, he, he was very, he, you know, he was, he was a hip guy, but uh, he, you know, he put his arm guy. around my shoulder and he said, Walter, <laughs> you know, if you, if you, you know, if you, uh, if you persevere, I know you're going to make it. I know you're going to make it. You know, and he gave me this Have very sincere, yeah, it was, and it was like, oh, okay, that's nice to hear, you know, but. He was in Long Branch Penny Whistle. Yeah. Before the Eagles, because I he picked me up hitchhiking once, told me all about <laughs> Long Branch Penny Whistle in Laurel Canyon. <laughs> well, you know, when I met him, his his nickname was 14. Have you ever heard that part? Why is that? Well, I'll leave it to you and your Oh listening. my God. Four. But of course, we were all very young in our <laughs> But that was the... that's too much. Oh <clears throat> I, I know. But... <laughs> Anyway, so that was really what I was aspiring to, that whole SoCal scene mm -hmm. that, was, that was so appealing to me. And, uh, and you know, and Lindsay and Stevie kind of fit into that, but in a weird kind of way at that point, because Fleetwood Mac was perceived as British and blues. Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. Really yeah. fully converted to being that Southern California pop rock sound that they got so well. How how long did you live in Southern California? I was there from 74 to the end of 91. Hmm. And what made you leave? Um, I inherited the house I grew up in. Oh, in the uh, and, okay. Uh, huh. you know, and at that point, I had started my family in 1985. I got married in 84. And um, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. I I was playing you know, I've always had a band and I had, I had a deal with uh, Brian Ferry's publishing company for a year or so, EG Music. And every time I'd bring in songs, they would say, you know, that's a great song, but I can't hear, I can't hear anybody but you singing it. You know, it was like, well, they get me a record deal, you know, it was kind of very frustrating in a lot of ways. And, and it just seemed like a good time for a change. Um, and uh, and in some ways it was. I mean, I love New York and I love 
the seasons that come living there in New York City is is certainly an exciting place to be. Not so exciting if you're struggling, you know. Well, you've had like so many musicians, so many ups and downs. I mean, serious ups and downs like this. Well, <laughs> right? you know, well, if you, I think if you stick with it, you're, they're built in to it yeah. for the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think never, that, yeah, you've never given up on it. Well, and, that's and, it. I and, believe and this it, record I, is great. And I thank you for that. I, uh, yeah. I've always kind of believed in the fact that I could still do what I did. Politics, you know, derailed me a couple of times. I had uh, that album deal, that six album deal with Columbia. And then when I stopped making records with Lindsay and Stevie, they sort of cooled off the new people that were in charge of Columbia. And that's the problem, the change of regime. The guy who signed me there all of a sudden was working for RCA and the guy who took his place is going well I don't hear Stevie Nicks on here you know oh like, God, hey, you didn't sign her you signed me you know <laughs> so uh, that, that led to a bit of a you know trouble there well, I did when a was Hot more. Summer Nights when was that well Hot Summer Nights came in the second album okay. um, when I was still trying to uh, okay so Lindsay and Stevie were a team, so to speak, on my first album, even though to make things work, they work better separately. You know, Stevie would help with the vocals and come in like at night and Lindsay would come in during the day and work with the band and with the arrangements. And then with the mix, it was more Lindsay than Stevie. But um, for the second album, it was just Lindsay and an engineer named Richard Dashett, who was a great engineer who worked with Fleetwood Mac and myself was the production team. Um, during my first tour in 1977, behind the Fundamental Role album, I had uh, learned this song that Stevie taught me or played for me called Sisters of the Moon. And she said, you know, Fleetwood Mac just doesn't want to do this song. And they think it's a good song. What do you think? I said, yeah, it's a great song. I'll do it. <laughs> and so I learned it, played it on my tour that year. And when we came in to record the second album, we started running it down one day in the studio and Lindsay came out into that big room at, at Sound City and said, what's what's this we're hearing here? And I said, you know, and it, well, you know, the girl you broke up with and I'm still trying to impress, you know, here's the, here's the song of hers. That, and he was uh, like, mm, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, like, but, but, uh, okay. Anyway, so he said, go home and write. And it was going to be the climax of the album because ah. of course, the end of the second side on an album was always the one that was supposed to really knock him dead. Yeah, those were the days. Yeah, good old days. Well, the vinyl's coming back. It's Isn't roaring it? back. Fascination is due to be on vinyl. I don't know if you I know. That. I was happy to see that. Yeah. And the package, where do you see the package? It's really a nice package. Well, it's pictures of me. How could it be that? <laughs> um... <laughs> Not as many as you might think, actually. <laughs> well, just one in the front and one in the back, right? Well, one in the front. and the back, it's just me with my guitar. Oh, good. So the picture of me with Jesus on my back is... Back, your back is on the front. Oh, oh my back's on the front. Okay. Right. Well, um, what's the one that with the painting of me, of my face? Is that the single? Well, one, he's released these songs as singles. Okay. And okay. With album cut with, you know, covers for the singles. Right, right, right. But... Um, Anyway, so I went home that night. I was thinking about the experience of having 
a real band that works together and how the camaraderie of it was great and how I kind of longed for that, having to work with kind of side guys at some points. And, uh, and so, you know, three chords later, I had written this song, Hot Summer Nights, which is, you know, basically about how great summers were because <laughs> we could play music all the time and didn't have to worry about school. And so yeah, I came was the next day, everybody kind of liked it. And, uh, and it's gone on to become the most covered song that I've ever written. There's mm -hmm. French version, there's a new French version that's just about to come out. There was an old French version by Deke Rivers called Van de Levla. And then there was a <laughs> Swedish version, there's this German version, a Japanese version, which is somewhat- Fantastic. And, um, and of course the, the hit version was this group called Night, which mm -hmm. was very much a Fleetwood Mac kind of clone band. Um, and it was, you know, it was the follow-up to Magnet and Steel, but Columbia, in their wisdom, decided the song that had summer in its title shouldn't be released until late fall. And, you know, Magnet and Steel came out in March of that year, 78, and it slowly climbed to number eight by the middle of September. The, the stations that had gone on it early over the summer were playing out summer nights. Um, but they didn't release it. And then so by the time they released it, it was kind of stalled in the mid mid chart. It was like 50 something as far as it got. But then the following spring, um, the group Night, which was mm -hmm. Richard Perry's label's first release, mm -hmm. put it out. And it was a top 20 song around the world and also spawned... <laughs> I don't know if you ever met John Stewart, not not the TV guy, but uh, the uh, Kingston Trio guy. I know who he is. Well, or was. Never met him. Was, but yes. uh, um, <laughs> I was at the Musicians Union that year, 78, to do something and waiting in line. He came up to me and I knew who he was because I was a big Kingston Trio fan, you know, and he introduced himself and, and told me. He had taken my album to Al Corey, who was the head of his label, um, and said, this is what I want my record to sound like. And then he said, and I love Hot Summer Nights. Who's the drummer on there? And could you introduce me to Lindsay? <laughs> and so, of course, I said, sure, of course I can. You know, yeah, no problem. And so he went on to write that song, Gold. Mm had Stevie's voice, which had Lindsay's work on it, mm, mm. and which sounded awfully like Hot Summer Nights. Um, <sighs> so much so that both of them were on the charts at the same time, going up with the night mm. version and with gold. I was in a cab in New York City. I hopped in and he had the radio on and it was the intro. And I said, oh, turn that up, man. That's my song. I wrote that song. Go, oh, really? Oh. And then, you know. <laughs> and it was the other the one. And the lights go down <laughs> in the California town. You know. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, it, uh, it was a bit irksome, but, uh, you know. I've had irksome I, things like that happen. What could I say? Like almost famous, for instance. Uh, well, yeah. It was sure. irksome. Yeah, of course. That's a good word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear Hot Summer Nights. Yeah.
always good to hear it again. Yeah. Well, I've um, seen you play live several times, of course, in my yard and at well, the yeah, salon. You know, if you've ever saw me with my band being me, you saw no, me. No, I guess not. I saw you solo a lot. Well, I solo, you yeah. Malibu's. Yeah. You know, you, you get an inkling of, of the. And I saw you at the Grand Parsons, a couple of tributes. Yeah. 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 That's where we first actually met was the, the one in Burbank, 2002, I think it was. Brooklyn Cowboys were on the bill. It was this weird club in Burbank on wow. Magnolia or something. 19, wait a minute. How many years ago was that? 2002. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, we just met in passing. In that yeah. Point, you know, we didn't chat or anything. No, no, not really. I was on stage trying to get things going and you walked in and I kind of went, eh, eh. and I think Polly was with you, as a matter of fact. Yes. Um, My goddaughter, Polly Parsons. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Anyway, so uh, it uh, that song, you know, I guess the moral of the story is, you know, when Lindsay says, go write a song, probably you should go write a song. And then yeah. the further adventures of Hot Summer Nights is in 2009, I got a, I got called by the publishing company saying, you have to approve this song they were using Hot Summer Nights. But they wouldn't send me an MP3. They had to play it over the phone for me. And it was Eminem's big comeback single, Oh yeah, yeah We yeah. Made You. Yeah. <laughs> and so I expect it to be a needle drop or, or a quote of the ooh part of the yeah. ooh thing. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, it turned out to be just based on the kind of the chords and the feel, I guess. I, they could have slipped it by me and I never would have known. But I actually wound up getting like one-fifth writer's credit on that song. Well, that's uh, cool. It's good that it they contacted cool, you. They, I, they, they could have ignored that. And you probably wouldn't have heard Eminem. Exactly. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> so, yeah. so it wound up giving me great credibility with my kids. Yeah. Good. And uh, <laughs> great uh, mailbox money for the rest of that summer because it became a top 10 song mm -hmm, mm -hmm. briefly i guess <laughs> but mm -hmm. it did crack the top 10 so and then you know he won and the video for that is really hilarious he's he impersonates all these different if you haven't seen it we made you, you should check out okay the video. i haven't seen it yeah it's it's very it's a very funny clever kind of sarcastic yet Delirious. I love Eminem myself. Yeah, he's a he's made me appreciate another genre that I didn't appreciate. As much. <laughs> That's <laughs> a lovely way of putting it. Well, um, you know, speaking of your kids, though, didn't we met through Daphne, right? I mean, we really met through Daphne. Well, right? that's how it happened. Yeah, in I guess it was August of 2013. Right. Uh, we were preparing to come do a Malibu show and. Daphne wanted to move to the West Coast. And so she came out, she and her friend Lily, and I brought them with me. And, uh, and but before we left, she came into my room and she, <laughs> anyway, I'm telling it like it is. She came into my room and said, now dad, don't get the wrong idea, but I really love this book. And it was, I'm with the band. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's funny. I kind of know her. And I, for whatever reason, we were Facebook friends at that point. And so I sent you a, a message and you said, well, you're missing the groupie couture weekend that I'm having here. Oh, yes. I was but, having another house sale. But you can, you can come out <laughs> next weekend, you know, when is when we would be there. And so we arranged to do that. And uh, we drove down 
to your wonderful place there near the beach. And uh, yeah, and you know, you were very gracious and you let her look around in your garage and, and you know, all of a sudden we kind of talked about things that, oh, you know, oh, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, we had a lot of mutual interests. Yeah, you know, I think uh, <laughs> we were similar fans as it were. Mm -hmm you know, musically anyway, yeah, uh, of what, uh, of what we grew up around. And so, and so I found it, you know, very kind of uh, refreshing to meet someone who remembered a lot of the stuff that I remembered. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it was nice. I, I have the pictures we took in your living room that, that day. And then I think our flight was canceled the following day. We were supposed to go come back to Tennessee and for some reason the, the flights were canceled whether it was just southwest or whatever but anyway so we wound up staying longer and you had us over for breakfast and wow. uh, and you made <laughs> breakfast for us that's and, nice uh, of me <laughs> it was that's what I thought and uh, and so I was you know I was appreciating the way you made breakfast the way you cracked those eggs I was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, oh. it suddenly uh, was starting to uh, open my mind to ideas that I hadn't had before that moment. Well, I, I was going to ask you, I guess now I know it was the egg cracking thing that drew you to me. Is that, is that what it was? One of them fell on the floor, I believe, when you were doing it. Uh, so <laughs> I might be making that up, but I think I remember. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm trying to picture that. Oh, but then and, Daphne you know, became I, my roommate. And I'm kind of, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, for a long time. I forgot about that. But, uh, you know, and I'm kind of a picky eater, so. Oh, yes, sudden, very picky. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, <laughs> you, you brought out the part of me that said, well, other people are eating this, and they're not dying. <laughs> Why don't you eat it? I was you trying know? to open your palate. Do you remember? You, did. you opened my palate. Oh, opened, I'm so glad. <laughs> you opened the second button on my shirts. You, yes, uh, I did. I said, just loosen up, man. Well, and you know, there, <laughs> there were a lot of influences that happened over those couple of years, two or three years. Well, I'm glad I was some sort of inspiration. Well, especially of for this anything, record. you are, you are, you know that you are the, the epitome of the muse. You are. Well, thank you. Well, I don't know what it is <laughs> that, sweet. Uh, about you. Well, at least for me, you were, obviously. And so, you know, when we have to get our pictures taken for the cover of Rolling Stone after this album goes platinum. Yes, the, anything the, can happen. I have a crazy story faith. of our backstory here happens. Then, uh, well, the, the fact that you that <clears throat> that it didn't quite work out, but you got such a wonderful, you know, musical experience out of it. I'm grateful for that. Well, yeah. I mean, and what it really was, was, you know, I'm a spring chicken. I may look young, but I'm just backdated, as the song goes. <laughs> um, and, you know, I had been divorced for 10 years by the time I had this encounter with you. And, and it opened my mind to the fact that I could feel these feelings again, and which it says, you know, all of this is in the songs lyrics. But, I know the words. But, you know, and that was to me the greatest gift of the whole deal. You know, I mean, it took me a while to get over, which you know, this the. Again, <clears> and there's a lot of songs about that too, which the denouement as the after the 
Treat Me Nice song on the album is the kind of sobering morning after, as yeah. it were. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it, it and it's it's the human condition. I mean, I'm sure most everyone has had that experience. Of, Definitely. Of I think falling. everyone can relate to it. Yeah. And, and the fact know, that we're still like, friends is, is good. And I'm know? glad that too, you know, and of course, Daphne lived with you for Yeah, while. sure. So, and I you guess. played my backyard a lot. And boy, did people love it. I loved you, it too. You that were a was big really hit fun. in that my yard. Cool. And we're going to do it again too. I hope so. Sure. I would love yeah. to do that. You know. <clears throat> do you remember the day we went to the Grammy Museum though? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, and I can only apologize for that. Yeah. You know, you know I hadn't, I was clean off a of pot for a long time. And on the way to the Grammy Museum, which was, featured me do you remember yes, it was pretty i mean and the zappa stuff and graham and everything and 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 on the way there he said my my friend makes caramels would you like one i love caramels oh my god i ate one halfway through the event i was blotto and i didn't know why and i said finally i said i was i was studying dylan's lyrics like they were literally you know the second coming on, I mean, I, the burning bush. I mean, it was unbelievable. So I looked over and I said, I'm feeling a little weird. Well, you know, I feel terrible about that. I mean, I, the, it only displays the desperation that I was feeling toward the, toward the, and the, the arc of the story that this album tells. And, you know, I hope you forgive me for that. I, I, I do. Know, it I, took a while. I was surprised, first of all. I was surprised because it hardly affected me. Well, because you you probably eat 10 of them a day. <laughs> Jesus. I, <laughs> I, know. I hadn't had one in like 17 years or something. So it was a big, and then once I knew what it was, I went, okay, all right. But, it, you know, when I didn't know, it was kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Thank you for the, another apology. I really appreciate it. Well. <laughs> no, I got over it. You know, it, it took a little well, while, but. You know, you know, and it was a tasty caramel. What can I say? Creepy side that I didn't know I had. You know. <laughs> wow, I, I brought out that in you too. The creepy side. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, the full experience. What can I say? That, oh uh, boy! And I got my hair cut as well. Yes, you got your hair cut. You meant my I hair cutter, and now she and she moved to Nashville, so you were in luck. I got to the eat wonderful pho. Marissa. You took me to eat pho. Yes, I did. I demanded that you, you know, yeah. open and I, your palate. And, I and has that continued? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, what a drag. Yeah, completely, completely the other way. I mean, it was like, but, you know, of course, I think that's also associated with, with the heartbreak of, of having to deal with the end of the story, as it were. Oh. It only reminds me of you. Every martini just reminds me of you. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> well, you know, one of the songs I love on here is Fading Love because of the country aspect. Yeah. So yeah. I it, and that's that's coming toward the end of the saga. Yeah, so let's 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 hear that one. Watch out, Like falling in love with you 
to get up and dance yes it's a good dance song it's a yeah, good it's it's a, when i wrote it it was like what, what how else can i get to her oh yeah <laughs> she likes to do that kind of dance you know and it's it, a very honest record it's an honest look at something that didn't work out and and it's it's really well said real well, well, well sung well written i'm glad you appreciate it because you know I Not do so much if it's, you know I mean I try to imagine this whole thing coming out as it is I mean I've always I always believe in the songs that I write and and I do write them as honestly as I can and I meant every word of that during that time every time I would send you one of these songs or like but this one maybe you know I mean that's that's what a songwriter does it's it's well they express their truth if it's my gift song, is my song, yeah. and this one's for you, as they uh, yeah. Yeah. As would say, if you were yeah, here. yeah. But uh, but yeah, you know, and, and it, I think it was a great time, and it and it obviously uh, is not in the past anymore; it's in the present, which yeah, which is also interesting. I'll, I'll have to okay. So I did one interview with a guy who said, "If is your," he asked me if if my relationship with you was was like john and yoko <laughs> and it was like well that's a curious question um, um and i think in many ways sure of course being what at the time i felt like you were you were this big inspiration you know obviously the rest of the story didn't turn out the way theirs did but you know and at the time it was like Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I can only be semi embarrassed of some of the moments that I can recall of our, of our, of my courtship, as it were. Well, I'm not going to bring those up. As it well, that's nice of you. It's <laughs> nice of you. No. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I wasn't, again, I had been the, the lonely guy for 10 years. And so, there was a lot welled up inside of me, as it were, that <laughs> kind of burst forth when I started feeling my feelings that I had. So I can only tell you, you know, thanks for that. And, uh, and well, probably really... thanks for the way that it didn't turn out, I think, probably. Well, for you got a great record out of it. Well, there you go. And that's the songwriter's <laughs> revenge, right? Yes, yes um, exactly. <laughs> but no, well, it's not revenge. And it's, and it's, it's, I'm happy that it that it's accepted by you as you are accepting it because you know i mean sure there maybe are a few little pointed remarks in those later songs on the record yes there's a but, couple but you but know I, I mean i had to discover for myself you know i i was i was this little puppy at your door that kept going oh, come on pet me pet me you know and, <laughs> and it was 
I had to kind of step back from that and go, well, okay, take, get the message here, you know? <laughs> well, and, I, I felt bad about it, you know? I, I just said, but what can you do, you well, know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I tried. That's all I can say. I know. And, and you yeah. really gave it a royal try. <laughs> I gave it the full song when it is strong. <laughs> you did. Did you ever see the movie Walk Hard? Yes. Very that, funny. That yeah. takeoff on the Johnny Cash. Thing. Yes. Very. The best scene in there is where he's he's come back from being on the road and his wife has another baby in her arms. And and they're having some kind of argument. And she, I don't know what she says. She says something. And all of a sudden he looks off to the distance and she goes, don't you go writing a song while I'm arguing with you. You know, I mean, yeah. as a songwriter, that's what happens to us. Fodder. It's all fodder. It, is, it really is. Yeah. What are you going to do? That's, that's the uh, life I've chosen here. But uh, well, I think our time is up. <laughs> no, it is. It is. No, our time is up. But I, <laughs> I want to. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you for being my guest. No, well, I want to thank you for having me and and you know being open to uh, discuss these days with you. Sure. With you know, there's a, I mean, there's a lot more to Walter too. Um, yeah, you know, I'm the really whole burritos the part of, of your life, and yeah, you've just really is the tip of the iceberg. And, so yeah, check him out, people. There's, uh, you know, a lot more where that came from. Even if I don't record anymore or write anymore, there's a lot more where that came from. I think you will, oh, Walter. Why wouldn't you? Well, no, of course. I mean, I do, and I'm actually working on a couple of songs even as we speak. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but no, I, think... I hope to I hope to be back in your backyard as it Oh were. yeah, we're gonna do that for sure. Um, how about how this year, man? Make... We didn't even discuss this year. Wow. Oh gee, you know. I know it's it's it's, it's crazy. And and the I'm four crazy. years up to this year, which is uh, we both agree on that. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, it's been a really rough time. I'm feeling optimistic again. Yeah, yeah. And the, having the shot also oddly. Yeah. Oh no! That. I felt so much better. I feel so, I I don't double mask anymore. I wear one mask, of course, but I was doubling for months. Yeah, well, you know, I when I'm not to being the rock idol, I'm uh, as uh, still doing substitute teaching at a high school here in, yeah. Trenton, in Tennessee. Yeah. And they we've been in school since last August. The kids have been there. Have they? And I'm I know like Tennessee. The for God's I'm, sake, they're not like quite the up to there. it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so of course you're you're relieved. Yeah, no, but uh, I I booked some gigs for the summer. I'm doing some of these yacht rock things. You know. Oh, good. Magnet Those are fun. I bet falls into the yacht rock category. Yeah, yeah. Um, did, <laughs> good. Did, uh, you know, I think it was five or six dates with Ambrosia and Player and Stephen mm. Bishop and uh, John oh. Ford Foley last summer, and and it's really fun. You know. I love being the new me and the yeah. and still creating me. Yeah, you get to do both. Yeah. But it's fun to visit that every now and then and try to promote the other part of me that people mm -hmm. who are obsessed with Magnet and Steel. Yeah, yeah. Overlook, you know, which is the bane of, of all of us one hit wonders, you know. Yes, well, you, I, you, I wouldn't call you that. I wouldn't either, but I do have my <laughs> own page in the Joel Woodburn <laughs> one hit wonder book. 
I oh do. my god so That's and you know it's a narrow definition it's like one top 10 song giant hit yeah one giant movie. hit yeah so but Jimi hendrix is in there with me too so, <laughs> you know i feel i'm in good company so, well speaking of a giant hit why don't we end this chat with miss pamela yes because i think it's a hit i think you should use it as your theme song can i of course okay why not i think we should you know yeah okay walter thank you thank, thank you, you and stay well and we'll see you soon okay bye Thanks. Thanks for listening, dolls. Isn't it a pretty interesting story, right? Was it unexpected kind of a story? I think so. But, you know, meanwhile, a lot of great stories from Walter about his life. The Graham Parsons story is amazing. Hearts on Fire. The whole Stevie Nicks connection. And the fact that he's still making a lot of music. He's coming here soon to, to play. So I'll be there in the audience and maybe he'll even play my backyard. So thank you for listening. Please tune into all my podcasts, okay? I'm coming up on 20, I think. Pretty thrilling. So thank you from Pantheon, and thank you from Pamela DeBar. You've been listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at PantheonPodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts. Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram and Pantheon Pods on Twitter. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.